everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Buhlman. So let's steal the magic of books. First off, this was a great book. I really enjoyed reading it. It was a lot of fun, and I think that Christopher Buhlman did a lot of things really well in his book. He had some very creative cursing with a great mix of both cursing that we'd expect that's kind of like real world cursing mixed with the cursing of everybody's language and you know made up words and i thought it worked really well it was very seamless and you know our main character kinch is kind of he's always swearing and talking things and collecting you know like swear phrases and stuff it was really kind of fun another thing that i really liked is that the integration of other languages that not everybody just spoke the same language just because or understood each other. There were many instances where because of cultural phrasing and just the different languages, somebody thought they were asking for something and they were asking for something else. And just that classic like misinterpretation where something that you say, if they take it literally because they don't speak that language, makes it so much better. And it was really fun to read that those parts. They never like detracted or like took away from it. They were all, they were all great and I loved it. You know, I never felt like I got lost in the book. Like, like where am I? Who's doing what? It was always pretty apparent, you know, who was on the page, who was talking. I mean, it was always from Kinch's voice, but like, it was always pretty easy to tell where they are. I had a good sense of direction, even though the copy I got didn't have a map and I don't know if the other ones will, but even if they don't, I never felt like I was unaware of kind of where things were situated. And, and part of that, I think, is the way that Christopher Buhlman, which I'm probably saying his name wrong, so I'm sorry. But the way he set the story up where Kinch is telling you, or at least we think it's Kinch telling us the story. And, you know, we don't know exactly the position he's telling us the story from. We just start with him talking to us. And it's very, very good. Uh, you know, he gives us lots of information because, again, we know that this is being told. And so he can address the reader directly. And I think he did it really well. You know, he never dumped too much information where I felt overwhelmed. He didn't answer every question I had, which I thought was great. But he did answer the important questions, the ones that matter. Uh, yeah, it was great. His fights, the fights that he had in the book were very well sequenced. I love watching characters do what they're good at. And Christopher Billman with Kinch, we see Kinch stealing things, you know, multiple times and just the methodic, the methodical way he goes about it. It just makes it great. One thing I did not like, I don't particularly like songs in my books. I can never figure out the cadence. I don't know what it sounds like. I have to be able to hear a song to really kind of get the flow of it, unless it's a very simple like rhyme or a limerick, and then I can kind of piece it together. But I just don't like songs in my books. And I, I, I know that they play a great poor part. They can be very good. I don't like reading songs. I thought the way he put the songs in worked well. He had them kind of indented a little bit so you could tell it was a song. And the songs themselves, or at least the words of the songs themselves, were good and informative with not too much like kind of info dumpiness, but they worked, just not for me. So take that as you will. I think they're good. So let's uh, let's go move, we're gonna move into our, our spoiler section of the book right now. So 
The Black Tongue Thief is about Kinch, not Shanik, who is a Galt, and he has a black tongue. It's not... I thought it would be a little bit more rare, but apparently it's not super rare. Lots of Galts have them. And so he is in the forest getting ready to rob somebody. The person they're trying to rob, Galva, yeah, just destroys them, beats them up really good, uh, him and his crew, and then the guild, that he, the Thieves' Guild, sets him to follow Galva and to help her get to where she needs to be going soon. We learn, you know, they go on this journey, they start collecting kind of some people, they collect uh, Norgal, who is a witch, and she is the apprentice of Deadlegs, a very powerful witch. They collect Malk, and he even picks up, uh, Kinch even picks up an assassin hiding inside the cat, and that was so fun. It was great. So we learn how, we don't learn until probably 50 to 75% of the way through the book, at least, you know, what the real objective of the guild is, or of the, uh, the book is, and that is to find this queen of Hispania and Hispantia, excuse me, and bring her back and kind of install her in power. So it's a little bit of like a rebellion, but not really. It was it was good. I liked it. There's so many good stories and so many parts. Um, let's talk about the magic, of course, for one second. I like that there is magic, obviously spells, you know, knowledge, but you also have that, of course, your innate ability. And Kinch has a very low innate ability, but he has two magical gifts that he was kind of born with. And the first one that's introduced to us is the gift of, like, luck knowledge. He knows when his luck is good. He knows when his luck is bad. He can feel it. He can kind of tell when something good's about to happen. And I liked that a lot. I thought it was really good. There's a part later in the book, of course, where he's talking about, like, when I play cards and my luck is good, I always draw good cards. But sometimes I don't know why they're good cards. Like, I'll draw cards that will be good for that hand, but they won't be, like, the high cards. They'll be the cards that are more necessary to win the hand. And so it's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Like, that's a good, that's really cool. It's not just, oh, you always draw, like, the best possible hand you draw to match the situation and win. So I thought that was really good. Sometimes I felt like the magic system, well, at least his luck knowledge was ignored. Where he'd be doing stuff, and he'd be like, man, sure would be good if I was lucky. And it's like, well, you know if you're lucky, like, you, that's your gift. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't, like, throwing me out of the story completely, but when I thought about it, I was like, shouldn't he have known, like, based on his luck, like, whether things were going well or whether they were going to go poorly, at least in a general sense? I, I just, that part was a little off to me. Uh, and the other magical gift that he has is that he is a cipher, so he can read and understand any written language, any codes that are easily broken by him, anything. Uh, and he has to be very careful because if a cipher is found out, they're basically imprisoned, lavishly, but still imprisoned and forced to decode and read and encrypt things the whole time. He doesn't want that. And he gives a pretty good couple good examples of uh, times when he has almost been tricked by it, hanging a sign on the front of a tavern that says, you know, first beer free, just ask. And then realizing before he goes and asks that, hey, wait a minute, that's probably written in some dead language that doesn't exist or doesn't work anymore. And the only reason I can read it is because I'm a cipher. So it was really good. I like that. It was it was useful in important parts. It never felt too coincidental. Uh, it was great. I also like, obviously, there's like cantrips and your general things. You can, you can make somebody fall asleep if they're kind of tired. And then you can also use tattoos as magic. And the way those work is that you kind of like write 
the intent or the word behind it and you tattoo it and then it is in you and then you can use it. So one of the tattoos was uh, true hand turns. Basically, if you try and attack this guy and you're using your dominant hand, then your attack will turn and you'll miss. If you use your non-dominant hand, doesn't affect you because who swings a sword with their non-dominant hand so i thought that was really cool very inventive use and we also see another use with the tattoos is that you can create sleeper tattoos which basically hold a creature inside of the tattoo until they until you call them out then they can come out and get back in yeah it was very cool galva the espantia that he tries to rob in the beginning has two sleeper tattoos of war covids which are cool think big crow bigger than a horse and it just fights and bites and claws and it's tough to kill oh it was great watching the war covid go to work and she can keep them in her tattoos one of them has died and the other one is there but she still has the tattoo for it now the world that he built is amazing it's fully realized he's talked about you know he, yeah he thought about how the wars would affect people and then how those wars would affect the next thing and it was very realistic and you know i totally understood it i was like yeah of course all the men went off to war and then they died fighting goblins and then they came again so all the women had to go to war so there's this huge age gap of people just it was great so one of my favorite things is uh bully the cat he is a blind cat just that uh kinch decides to take care of and their interactions are the funniest because he's a blind cat so he just kind of walks around and hits stuff and then rows at it and so funny unfortunately for bully the cat he has a assassin adept in him because that's you know one of her tattoos it's, it's very soft but it never felt overly like soft in a bad way for the magic system but the assassin adept Sestra is going to kill the new queen of Aspantia that they're trying to, to find. We don't know that until near the very end, of course, but she is hiding out in the cat and watching and making sure that, you know, she gets taken along. And so, so funny. And then to get around that, they put the cat in a tattoo. And so the assassin's also stuck in the tattoo. It was great. And there was some good foreshadowing where they talked about, hey, you know, they can only come out if... You use their true name and let them out, which, you know, I don't know what the true name of a cat is, but, or if lightning hits, lightning can kind of disrupt magic. And of course, they have to use some lightning and it does disrupt the tattoo near the end of the book and the cat and the assassin get out. It was just great. But Bully the Cat, favorite cat, favorite. I love Bully the Cat in the book. It was just so fun. So, uh, one thing which I'm not a huge fan of most of the time is the unreliable narrator where they either don't tell you everything or they tell you things in a misleading way. And you know that this is an unreliable narrator because near the end, he is working with talk, uh, playing a game of towers against the upright man, kind of the kingpin boss of the last city they're in where the thieves guild has been thrown out. And the game of towers sounds a lot of fun. It was very interesting. The way he played, the way Christopher Bullman wrote that scene playing the game was excellent. It was as good as any fight scene, played full of, you know, trips and traps and maneuvers. It was great. But he, uh, the stakes for the game are, you'll tell me my information if I win, or 
I'll have sex with you if you win. And he doesn't want to, you know, have sex with the guy. And so he, he wins. And then they do double of nothing. And he throws the second game, of course, because he doesn't want to get killed in the mob boss's house. And then, you know, he tell, he goes us through and he's like, okay, let's pretend. And he makes some noise. And then he's like, yep. And then he gave me, you know, like they talked. And he's like, and if you believe, you know, he's like, and he, he didn't touch me one bit. And if you believe that, I envy you your your beautiful life. And it's like, oh, okay. So he's literally telling me that I can't necessarily trust all of his words. And then if you go reread that and some other scenes, it kind of is like, oh yeah, I can see kind of where he is shuffling the truth or kind of like hiding the truth, but it's still in plain sight. So I thought it was really good, really good. Another thing I really liked that is, you know, of course, completely separate is the guild. They have a very cool, well, I don't know if it's very cool. They have a lot of different levels. Most of the time, I think you'd go with like apprentice thief, you know, basic thief, and then like good thief or like, you know, the higher ups. But they have a very, you know, different setup and how how we learn kind of can change things. It was very good. And then one of the levels of thieving is called the famine. And basically, when you reach that level, you make a vow to never buy anything legally again. You can only steal to eat, to sleep, to do whatever. And that's a really intense kind of oath. And I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. I don't know if they'll be able to to stick with that. But then we do see a famine who has broken into his jail cell, you know, made him think that he is just a, another occupant of the jail cell, steals Kinch's food that he's about to get, and then leaves. And I was like, oh, by the way, don't mess up. And so we learned that, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a famine. It was very good. So let's talk uh, just a minute or two about some characters. Norgal, she's the witch. They, Gal, or Kinch and Norgal, you know, kind of have a little bit of a relationship. I thought it was well done. They become a moon wife and moon husband, basically husband and wife for like a month. Pretty fun. She is a witch. She's a kind of an apprentice witch. So her spells that she casts are not perfect, but they are very powerful. Galva is the Aspantian that we are with the most in this book. She is a mistress of death and worships death. And so all throughout the book, you know, she is there with people trying to like, you know, obviously she's a warrior. She's very good with the sword. But if somebody insults death, she does not take it well. Um, Kinch we have is our main character. He's got a funny attitude. He's got a serious attitude. He is very good. He's a great, full, realized character. They all are. Um, Deadlegs, we talk. Deadlegs is the normal witch master. She's Norval's witch master. She's very powerful. She doesn't have legs. Her legs were crushed. And so she sews on like new legs with magic every day or two. And it was very impressive, those scenes with her. Now, let's talk about Malk. They meet Malk, who is another gall with a black tongue on their journey. And when they're passing through a town that has made peace, kind of peace, you know, in quotes, with the goblins. And they have a game where they, it's not a game, it's a life or death game when I say game, but they have a situation where if you reach across and you can try and pull each other across, and if you pull the goblin, then you get to kill the goblin. If you pull the person across, you get to kill the person. Only one person can hold can do hold the other team, and then you know, whoever jumps on can pull them and such. And just sounds like a really dumb game to try and play when your life is on the line, since lots of people have died by goblins. But Malk and them are walking next to the fence. Malk's talking to a goblin who's there because the goblin's like, hey, let's talk. And he's like, oh, I bet you couldn't reach across and pull me. I'm like, oh, you're a coward. And 
Mog just keeps getting angrier and angrier, and everybody's like, hey, Mog, leave the guy alone. Like, we don't want to get in a fight with a goblin right now, because it's a freaking goblin city right there. Like, let's go. And Mog's like, no, you can't tell me what to do, which I just thought was very teenagerish, especially for someone who fought in a war against goblins and survived would know better. But, you know, he reaches across, they pull, there's a big struggle. The goblins try and pull another kid at the same time. Most of the townspeople, of course, go to the kid they know, and not the kid, not the adult, they don't know. And so Malk gets pulled over to their side while they pull a goblin over to, to the human side. And we never see Galt again died. You know, they're going to eat him. Very brutal. But I, I mean, I can't blame, I can't find too much sympathy for him because he didn't have to reach across the fence and grab it. He knew what was going to happen when he did. He knew that they were going to attack and try and pull him across. You know, and while I'm not going to say he's dead till I really see a, a body, I am pretty sure he is not coming back. It was very good. So that's going to wrap up my discussion of The Black Dunk Thief by Christopher Bowman. Again, very good book, very enjoyable, never felt out of place, never got lost. I always wanted to get back to reading it, and it was very good. So thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. You know, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to LibromancyPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter most of the time at LibromancyPod. When I post, I'm not posting very often, but I'm trying to get better at it. And I'm trying to keep my calendar up to date on the website, LibromancyPodbean.com. Show them what books are coming up next if you want to read along. You know, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Really helps find new people and bring new people into the podcast. And always remember to steal the magic of books.